Graduates, again, I just want to say congratulations. And on behalf of our entire staff at Community of Faith, our entire church that literally is watching from all over the world today, we want to say that we're proud of you. We're thankful for who you are and who you're becoming. And we're also grateful for your parents and their influence that they've had in your lives to help you get to this place in this transitional time in your life. So um, as we continue on, I just want to pray specifically for you and for your family. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for times to celebrate, times to recognize the the ways that you have gifted us and talented us and and given us the ability to uh, find education, to excel in education and get to a place uh, where we get to to recognize and see all that's been accomplished behind us. And I just thank you for the efforts of these students, these graduates. I thank you for the the time and energy that they have given and have been able to give alongside their parents and their families to reach this accomplishment in their life. I thank you even for the difficult time that we're in and how this graduating class is unique and they've experienced something so different. I pray that this time that they found themselves in would be a time that really catapults them into life in a really strong way, that they would leave this season of life with a unique perspective, that you would stay at the center of everything that they do, and you would ultimately be the authority and the ruler in their lives so that they can experience all your goodness for them. I pray for their families. I pray for their parents as distance may become a, a thing in their lives that as they go off to college or off to the military or uh, to join the workforce, I, I pray that when distance is there, that you would continue to work in those relationships, stir something even unique in those relationships between uh, parents and, and children that is uh, strong, even in the, the midst of the distance. So we ultimately, we trust them in your hands and we know that you care deeply for them and uh, you love them even more than any of us could ever love them. And so we, uh, we ask with confidence, we pray with confidence, knowing that your hand is on them. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, congratulations, graduates. You know, as we continue on in our service today, I, I want us to wrap our minds around this thought that life changes, but God doesn't. And whether you're a graduate today, or you're a family member of a graduate, or someone who is, is just a part of community of faith and, and really just kind of in the regular routine of being at church. I want us to kind of go there in our minds. Life changes, but God doesn't. You know, one thing I think we all have in common is that we are consistently downloading apps on our cellular devices. It's something that we've all become familiar with. Every time you're thinking about something or going somewhere, there's often a statement made where somebody says, hey, there's an app for that, or have you downloaded the app yet? And so what most of us do is we go to the app store or wherever it is that we download the apps from and we look for that app and we download it and we quickly get to the place where we start using the the app that we've downloaded. What's interesting is that with every single app, there's this thing called terms and conditions. And we don't pay a lot of attention to that, but they're there. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I did what a lot of middle-aged adults did during this quarantine season. We downloaded the TikTok app. And it's something that I know some of you might be thinking, man, that's for teenagers, that's for children. But what quarantine has exposed is that there's a lot of adults that have jumped into the TikTok game. 
Well, what's interesting is the TikTok app has a terms and conditions page. It's 27,000 words long, and it's all the information that you need to know and you need to be aware of in order to use their app and to, be, uh, to not be able to hold them liable for anything. And I know that just like me, many of us, many of you, you've never read any of the terms and conditions. But let me just tell you um, some of the things that are described in the terms and conditions for the TikTok app specifically. It says this, um, in, in just the, the non-legal terms, I just want to kind of clarify what this means. It says that other people might pay TikTok for your videos or for the content that you created, but TikTok is not required to compensate you for that content. That's interesting. Another thing that they say is that uh, they may randomly and have the ability to just simply remove your content. It says that they can force to give up your username. Um, to give it to somebody else, maybe that they feel is more important, which feels a little bit bizarre. They say that um, they will also share your personal information with other companies. Now that all sounds a little bit creepy and a little bit disturbing and creates a little bit of attention, a little bit of tension, but we've all agreed that we're okay with that. But what's also interesting about all terms and conditions is what they do is they tell you, these are the rules. This is how we intend to operate. These are the things we want you to live by, but we also want you to know that not only did we make the rules, but we can break the rules, we can adjust the rules, that the terms and conditions are subject to change. That's kind of bizarre, but we always agree to it. We don't pay a lot of attention to it. But not only are terms and conditions subject to change, but life is subject to change. We go through changes in life, it's inevitable. But every single one of us, we live life in such a way where we believe that there's terms and conditions. We, we see expectations. We have thoughts about the future. We have thoughts about what life is going to look like. And then when life changes and we begin to step into something that's a little bit unique or a little bit unexpected, it shakes us up a little bit. And not listen, not all change is bad. Change is good, change is bad. Maybe, maybe several months ago, you got the job at the dream company that you've always wanted to work for, but you didn't necessarily get the position at that company that you hoped for. And so there was some good, there was some bad. And then maybe just a few weeks later, you had to take a pay cut because of the economic situation due to COVID in our country. And so there's some bad, but there's also some good because you think, well, I'm still employed despite not making the same amount of money. Maybe the change has just been the quarantine itself and you've been stuck at home. And the good in that has been more family time. The bad in that has been more family time, driving each other crazy. You know, for some of us, this time has been a time of rest and refreshment and reflection. And for others, it's been a time that's overwhelming, that's frustrating, where we fight isolated and hopeless. Good can be awesome, but our change can be awesome, but it can also be awful. And so what do we do with that? When life changes, how do we, how do we navigate this? The, the thing I want us to reflect on and what I want us to think about today and, and the question that I really want us to answer is not how do we avoid change, but how do we survive change? Because when change happens, we struggle in a few different ways. It forces us into the unknown. We all want to know what's going to happen, but when change happens, we don't always know what the future holds for us. And so we begin to struggle because we want to know what the future holds for us. It also helps, it also leads us to a place where we lose perspective because oftentimes in change, especially in drastic change, we struggle with heightened emotions. And when we become emotional, sometimes it clouds our awareness and our judgment. It also makes us feel like we don't have control and we've lost that control. And I am a control freak. And I know many of you would probably diagnose yourself as a control freak. We want to control a situation. 
And so we work really, really hard to earn what we feel like we need to satisfy the needs in our lives. We continue to train, we continue to develop, we continue to run after the things that are going to make us better at the life that we desire. Some of us work tirelessly to navigate relationships to avoid any bit of conflict because we want to control the situation. And while we would all agree that ultimately we're not always in control, when change happens, that feeling of not having control can really shake us up. So how do we survive that? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about that. And I want us to look at a few verses in the book of Hebrews because I think they can give us some clarity. I think they can give us some understanding so that we can find some confidence as we are navigating a time right now, and I believe a time that's going to continue for weeks and months and maybe even years, of a lot of change. And it seems like every single day I'm learning something new. I'm trying to navigate something new. So how do we survive this consistent pattern of change? Well, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 5. It says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? I want to stop right there and I want us to, to understand the backstory. I want us to have a little bit of context about what's happening and who this is being written to and all that's happened up to this point. You see, as you begin to reflect back in the Bible, all the way back into the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, there was a group of people called the Israelites. They were a group of people that God had chosen. He had set them apart to live life a little bit differently. He had purposes and he had plans for them. And so he set up a system. He set up a religious system that had hundreds of rules and laws and commands to live by, 613 of them to be exact. It started with the Ten Commandments, but it continued to grow. And what he was doing is he was wanting them to be set apart from all the other people groups that they found themselves around. He had a specific way he wanted them to live, specific things to pursue. All the way down to what to eat and what not to eat, what to wear and what not to wear and how to even worship God. These are rigid rules, and it seems a little bit excessive. It seems a little bit bothersome. It creates some tension when we think about that. But even in their worship, their worship was, uh, was uh, de designated for specific people. Only certain people could go into the temple, could go into specific places in the temple. It was a, it was a place for the elite. It was, a, it was a place for the exclusive. And it was the system that they were living in. You fast forward several centuries and all of a sudden there's this arrival, this, this revolutionary occurrence. God himself in flesh and blood, fully God, fully man, his name was Jesus. He arrives on this earth and his arrival meant something. His arrival was introducing a change. It was introducing a shift and he began to live his life in a way that showed and expressed love for all people across all cultures, across all ethnicities, across every demographic, man, woman, child, the elderly. It was a love that was for all and it was unique. And he lived a life unlike and unique from anyone before him and anyone since him. It was a unique life. And then he went to the cross and he gave his life and it was the greatest display of the love that I just described. But he didn't stay dead, he came back to life and it was his death that defeated, it was his death on the cross that defeated the death that claims hold of mine and yours, your life. It changed everything. It was a game changer. It was a history changing moment. But what's interesting is Jesus, after he came back to life, as he, as he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven. And these Israelites, these, these Jewish 
followers of Jesus who had decided to place their faith in Jesus, all of a sudden life began to get back to normal. There was some sense of, of, uh, of normalcy that began to creep back in their lives because Jesus had gone back to heaven and they had to make a decision. Things were changing. This was unique. All of a sudden, they weren't so focused on the 613 rules and regulations of the religious system. They were focused on the one relationship with this man named Jesus. There was change that was taking place. And as he left, they began to struggle. They were concerned. And so this letter, the letter in Hebrews that was written to them, was written specifically to Jewish Jesus followers. Followers of Jesus who understood this religious system, they understood the history and the culture of the Old Testament and all the generations leading up to them. And then Jesus stepped on the scene and he changed everything for them. And that's where we find ourselves at the end of this book in chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. And he says, basically, be content. Be confident. There's a command. He's, he's encouraging us to be content and to be confident. But in order for us to be content and to be competent, he's pointing us to two things. There's power when we understand two things that he's reminding us of. He doesn't just say be content and then be confident when change happens. He's writing to these people and he's saying be content and be confident. But in order to do that, you've got to recognize and remember something. As, he's look, as, he's read, as he writes in verse 5, he's reminding them of something that was written all the way back in the Old Testament. He says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. In the literal Greek, there are five negative instances in this phrase. What he says, it says, I will never, ever, nor will I, I will never, never, never forsake you. I will never forget you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. He is emphasizing. He says, don't forget this. Jesus will never abandon you. Never. You know, something I've already begun to teach my boys is that they never, never, under any circumstances, never, never, never ask a woman if she's pregnant. That never ends well. Never do that, son. If you want your life to, to, to exist for a long period of time, you never ask a woman that question. There's emphasis, and he's saying over and over and over, I don't want you to forget this, because there's a tendency for us when change happens, and when it's drastic, the first thing we tend to do is to forget that Jesus is there. We begin to think that maybe Jesus has turned his back on us. Maybe Jesus has forgotten us. And this author in Hebrews is saying, hey, don't forget this. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, if you have Jesus, then there is nothing that can be taken away from you that is totally devastating. Think about it this way. The one who has Jesus and nothing else really has the same that the person who has Jesus and everything else has. They're the same because ultimately they have all that really matters and that is Jesus. And that's what the author wants us to see in verse 5. In verse 6, he's reminding us, he's saying, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. Well, how am I not afraid? Because I know that not only will he never leave me, but he's here to help me. His power is available to me. His presence gives me power. His presence gives me peace. It gives me confidence even when life isn't going great. What he's saying, he's saying, hey, you know, the, you know the guy who didn't let death, didn't let hell, didn't let cross keep him from rescuing you? He's saying, yeah, that guy, that guy, he's with you. He is promising to be with you in all things. I love how Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, listen to the voice of Jesus speak. I will help you. 
It is a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Consider what I've already done. What? Not help you? I bought you with my blood. What? Not help you? I died for you. Since I have done the greater, will I not do the lesser for you? What he's trying to say is he's saying, if he was willing to give his life for you, would he not be willing to do everything else necessary to protect you, to keep you safe? It would be like a father saying to his child, hey, listen, I love you and I would give my life for you, but I'm not going to feed you. I'm going to let you starve. That's ridiculous. It doesn't match up. And that's what the author is wanting us to see. And what he's saying is he's saying, as you remember that his love is never ending for you and that he is always with you, then we begin to find contentment and confidence. And I struggle with that. And I especially struggle with that when I have those come on moments. You know, what the, you know what I'm talking about? It's the moment where somebody in front of you is about to turn, but there's no turn signal. And so what do you do? Come on, man, turn on your turn signal. Do you know they make blinkers for that? Or maybe you're at the intersection and you're in a hurry to go and that person doesn't turn on their turn signal, but they turn anyways. And it's like, come on, really? Because you've got somewhere to be. You've got something that you want. Maybe it's when you're standing in line at Chick-fil-A and the guy in front of you is taking forever to order what you know he's already going to order, a chicken sandwich. And you're thinking, come on, man. Or you're driving down the road and the light turns yellow. And what do you do when the light turns yellow? You do what I do. You push the gas pedal down just a little bit harder. Except when that person in front of you doesn't think like you do. And they see yellow and they slam on a different pedal. They slam on the brakes. And what do you do? Come on. Some of us have had those come on moments the last several weeks and months. Really? Is this really happening to me right now? We've experienced loss. We've experienced less. And it leads us to a place where we begin to question who God is. We begin to question what Jesus is and who he wants to be for us even today. And what the author is saying is he's saying, be content and confident. So can I ask you a question? Are you content? You know, it's interesting. Just a few years ago, there was a poll taken and the poll determined that 84% of Americans are content with where they are in life. What's interesting is the very same year, a Gallup poll came out and determined that the number one concern for Americans was the fact that they believed they did not have enough money. Those two findings contradict themselves. If I was sitting in your living room with you today or sitting in your car with you, wherever you're watching from today, and I asked you just to raise your hand if um, you are content in life, I know many of you would probably say, yeah, I, I'm content. But then if I asked a follow-up question, I said, hey, if you were to get a 15% pay raise at your job in the next year, would that help solve all your financial problems? Most would probably raise their hand and say, absolutely, that would, that would, that would fix it. That would help. What I think we're supposed to see as we recognize what the author in Hebrews is writing is that in Christ, you are satisfied in exactly what you have because in Christ, you have everything you need. When we begin to remember who Jesus is and remember what he did and what he's continuing to do on our behalf, then we find contentment and it's strong. Let me ask you another question. Are you confident? Are you confident? I'm not asking, are you confident in your abilities, but are you confident in Jesus's love for you and his presence in your life? You know, if you were to begin to reflect back on your life for the last few months, or maybe just a, a few years even, are you the kind of person like I can be sometimes that is um, deeply impacted by the craziness of the day-to-day? 
And sometimes my emotions and my moods are elevated by the good and the bad. And sometimes the drama in life kind of takes me to places that isn't great. I think what it does is it actually begins to expose my inability or my lack of awareness of who Jesus is and who he is in my life right now. It might be exposing that I fail to recognize the unchanging nature of Jesus himself. And so instead of my life looking like a walk with Jesus or your life looking like a walk, a journey with Jesus, sometimes my life looks more like uh, I'm, I'm going on a journey next to Jesus, but I'm on the pogo stick saying, it's good, it's bad, it's awesome, it's terrible. And that's what my life begins to look like. And I think our lives look like that when we fail to remember who Jesus is and the unchanging nature of Jesus himself. This author wants us to see that. He's saying, be content, live confidently. And then in verse 8, he says this. If you skip down, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In other words, Jesus may have changed the game when he arrived on this earth, gave his life, came back to life, and ascended into heaven, but he himself has not changed. He was the representation of the God the Israelites had always known the God the Israelites had always trusted. And he didn't show up as just some random religious dude to break the system. He was the same God who was around when the system was created. And this author wants the Israelites to remember that and to see that there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom from the system and there's a freedom to follow one whose love for them is extravagant. And it changed things for them, for the good. I mean, the way they worshiped was different. It wasn't designated for the elite. They were able to experience God for themselves. His spirit was available to all of them like it is to us. His spirit is alive and in us as followers of him. The sacrificial system was gone. Jesus was the final permanent sacrifice. The, the sacrificial system of all the animals and all the things before, it wasn't something they needed anymore. So things were different, but the change was for their good. They had experienced his faithfulness for generations. Many of them had the Old Testament memorized. They had remembered all the goodness of God, all the faithfulness of God. And so the, the Hebrew writer is wanting them to remember, that, to remember that in the time and a season where things were changing, that he was with them, that he wasn't going to abandon them, and he was going to sustain them through all that they were going through. Life changes, but God doesn't. Life changes. But God never changes. Even though your circumstance, circumstances might change, the characteristics of our Heavenly Father have always been unchanged. As I was thinking through this season and thinking about where this lands for us, I was thinking about just a few weeks ago, I was driving, leaving my neighborhood, and there was a guy that was cleaning out his garage. And he had, just like at you, if you've ever cleaned out your garage, we do it about once a year, um, you take everything out and you set it out in your driveway. And once you get everything out of the garage, there's kind of this moment of like, oh, this feels good. There's space. You found some things you didn't even remember you had. You find some old sports memorabilia. Maybe you find some old awards that you had from high school. You find some, maybe some sports equipment from your kids when they were a little bit younger. And so there's that, that nostalgic feeling. Maybe you found another kid you didn't even realize you had. And you're like, hey, hey, babe, did you know that there was a third kid in the, in the garage? Um, but we would go through this process, but we get to that point where everything's cleared out. And then you have to start deciding, what are you going to keep? What are you going to put back? And what are you going to throw away? What do you not need anymore? What is just taking up space in your life? You know, I think we found ourselves 
in a similar season where we have in a lot of ways been forced to clean out the garage. A lot of the things that we've held on to, a lot of things we stored away in our lives, a lot of things that we've looked to for satisfaction and security and confidence and contentment, a lot of those things have kind of been taken away. They've been put out on the driveway and now we find ourselves in a season where we have to decide what are we gonna put back? What are we gonna allow back in the garage metaphorically in our lives? And I just think that what this author in Hebrews is trying to get us to see is that ultimately the only thing that really needs to be back in the garage of our life is Jesus himself. And for some today, the number one thing that God is calling you out to do is just to simply trust him. Maybe for the very first time, maybe what this season has exposed is that for years, maybe your entire life, you have put all your hope, you have put all your security, all of your satisfaction into all sorts of different things and other people. And now that those things have been taken away, you've realized that they weren't ever really capable of bringing the satisfaction and the security that you desired that they would bring anyways. And maybe this is an opportunity where God has kind of taken everything out of the garage so that he can help you see that he is the ultimate satisfaction, that in him we find contentment, in him we find security, and in him we find our confidence even when everything around us is changing and we don't know what the future is going to hold. So what's going back in your garage? Maybe today you just simply trust Jesus. We want to know that. And so if today you, you finally have had that recognition, that revelation in your life where it's like, I need something more than I have, And I'm not sure I'm going to find it in anything else. And so, you know what? Maybe today I just need to lay my life down and say, Jesus, here's my life. I want you to be my king. I want you to be my Lord, my boss. I want you to control everything. And then as you begin to trust him, he'll begin to reveal to you all the other things that go back into the garage of your life. You know, as I kind of land this today, I think that there's, there's a way that we can keep this truth in front of us. I, uh, I've always been a little bit fascinated by um, ice skaters and dancers that can spin just many, many times and never get dizzy because I get dizzy just watching people spin on the ice. I get dizzy on carnival rides. I get dizzy on boats, in cars, on airplanes. I hate being dizzy. And even at a, as, at a young age, I remember asking my parents, how in the world do these people spin like that and not just pass out? What's well, called something specific. What they do is they actually fix their eyes on a specific wall, on a specific space. And as they fix their eyes there, they're able to maintain control and stability and balance as they dance or as they skate. When things look a little bit out of control, when things look chaotic, they found balance and they have the ability to navigate the way that they need to navigate because they fix their eyes on something. They focus their eyes on something and it keeps them from getting dizzy. The whole reason I say that is because it's important for us to keep our eyes focused on something. And so over the last several weeks, in a lot of different ways, as you've listened to different people and different communicators here at Community of Faith, there's some homework that I think we can step into. And it's two parts. And it's simply this. In order for us to remember this, the first thing that we've got to do is just simply remember his truth, to run to his word. And maybe this week, all you need to do I can't get Psalm 23 out of my head over the last few months. And so maybe this week, every single day, go and read the 23rd Psalm and just highlight a phrase, highlight a word that means something to you that sticks out in your mind and ask God to continue to show you that truth and what that means for you. Run to his word, memorize it, claim it over your life. 
The second part of this is to remember his ways. Remember his truth, then remember his ways. But specifically the ways that he's worked in your life in the past. Think about what he's done. Think about the times where you didn't have what you thought you needed and you prayed in desperation saying, God, if I don't have this, I don't know how I'm gonna make it. And he came through. A miracle happened. He provided for your greatest needs. Maybe it was a time where your marriage was on the rocks, where things seemed hopeless and you found restoration. There was reconciliation that took place when you didn't think it was possible. Maybe for you, the relationship was broken. The relationship ended and you found yourself lonely and hopeless. And God brought you through that. He restored in you who he wanted you to be. And so as you understood who he wanted you to be, you were able to find someone who loved you for who you are. And in that, a miracle happened. Remember that, reflect that, reflect on that. Maybe it was a prayer where you prayed and just asked God to do something miraculous in the life of one of your kids because the things your kids were pursuing were breaking your heart and you've seen God's faithfulness in that. What are those things? What are the ways that he's worked in your life in the past? Remember those things and then write them down. Grab a post-it note, grab the notes on your phone, write those things down, remember those things, put them on your mirror, put them on your dashboard, keep them on your phone. I know that might sound lame, but when life gets crazy and change is happening all around us, you can focus on those things to help bring balance and stability into your life because life changes, but God doesn't. What steps are we called to take as we remember who he is and what he wants to do in our lives in this crazy, changing season. Life changes, but God has never changed. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that when we are experiencing change in our lives constantly, on the daily right now, that you are not shaken, you are not changing, you have not deterred in different directions, but you have stayed constant, you have stayed strong, and you have been consistently close to us. And so I pray right now that we would feel that. And as we recognize that and experience that and we find hope in that and confidence and contentment, would you give us the ability to continue to take the steps that we need to take? Trusting you when we feel like we don't have any control. Trusting you when our perspective is all out of whack. Trusting you when we don't know what the future holds. God, I pray that you would be our confidence today. God, I pray specifically for those that are really, really struggling for those that maybe are struggling, sitting on the fence, trying to decide, do I trust you or do I not trust you? God, would you give them a, a confidence today in some way, in a way that only you can, that they would have the courage and the ability and the boldness to just simply trust you. And then we get to show them how to live, show them how to walk, how to live life and go on a journey with you forever. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the time that we get to spend together every single week. I pray that what's happened today all over the world, that it wouldn't stay in this moment, it wouldn't stay in today, but it would impact our week, our month, it would impact this year, that it would impact our entire life. We love you, we trust you in Jesus' name, amen. Community of Faith, I love you, we love you. Hang around, the early show is about to come back on. We'll see you next week live, in person, if you're able to be here, June 7th, 9.30 and 11.30. Have a great week.